Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Make and Decorate podcast. This is season four, episode 78, and I am your host, Stephanie. And this episode is another solo episode. Uh, I will have a guest on the next episode. So uh, if you probably noticed, I did skip a week of the podcast. I apologize for that. I usually stick on schedule, um, but it was just unavoidable. So here I am this week back with you. All right, so today's main segment is about the history of sewing straight pins and how they were made. Uh, But first, let's start off with the chit chat segment. I received a review on iTunes. Um, It was the weekend of Thanksgiving, I believe, November 27th, and uh, it was not good. Uh, It was not mean spirited. But it was negative, and I uh, the first negative review that someone has actually written on iTunes. It was just a critical review with a recommendation for improvement. So I want to read this to you. Um, it's by Fugai22. gave me a two-star rating, and it was titled, Too Much Rambling. Love everything, crafting, and creating, but there's too much rambling. For example, season four, episode 77, the episode starts at 23 minutes, 11 seconds. Maybe save the ramble for the end of the episode so the listener has the option to end the cast if not interested. So, you know, I I appreciated the um, feedback. Uh, I wished that it wasn't a two star, but you know that's that's what it's there for. So, um, and I appreciated that it, it wasn't mean and that it it was constructive. So, um, here is my response to this. I designed this podcast to be a long format. I like to provide guest segments that are more in-depth and personal, longer than the quick 15-minute standard podcast format, and that format is generally used by the big, big companies, the magazine companies, uh, product companies, um, uh, podcasters that are um, fully sponsored, that sort of thing. So I've said it before, this podcast is not for everyone. However, I also ask for feedback so that I can improve. So here's my current format. I alternate guest and solo episodes. Guest episodes are generally preceded by a 10 to 15 minute chit chat segment. I keep the chit chat a little shorter for those episodes because it is a guest episode and most of the time I want to reserve for our conversation. Solo episodes, on the other hand, they can be all chit-chat, or I do a combination where I have a a main topic to share with you where I've done extensive research, or I share with you um, my experience in an interior design, and that sort of thing. So episode 77 was a, a solo episode. So that's probably why this person was not happy about um, the, you know, 20 minute chit chat segment. Um, And it wasn't all chit chat, I did have a topic. So uh, anyway, here's my question for all of you. Please email me at info 
at makeanddecorate.com or DM me on Instagram. It's stephanie.socha.design, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E dot S-O-C-H-A dot design. So tell me, if you think I ramble too much on the chit-chat segment, do you only want to hear the main segment? Or no, I enjoy the chit-chat segment. Or I only like guest episodes. Or I only like solo episodes. Or I like it how it is. So I just want to, I want a lot of feedback. So if you could just take um, a couple minutes and email me at info at makeanddecorate.com or DM me on Instagram. I really would appreciate you taking the time just giving me feedback. So um, I just need to know because I definitely want to, um, you know, if the if the majority of the feedback is a certain thing, then why would I continue to do that if most people don't enjoy it? So that's what I'm looking for. I'm just looking for your feedback. Not that I'm going to make any drastic changes, but you never know. All right. So Mighty Networks is a make and it, the group is called Make and Decorate Friends. It's a free group similar to a Facebook group, but it's private. There's no ads or algorithms and it's just us in this group. You can post photographs um, of projects you're making. You can post questions. You can chat with each other. Um, ask me a question. Um, and uh, it, it's just a nice... Um, it's a nice group to have where we can um, kind of get to know each other better. So Mighty Networks, make and decorate friends. Um, Patreon is also a way to support the podcast. I um, publish a bonus episode every month for the patrons that support the podcast through Patreon. And I also have a donation button on the podcast page if you would just like a, to make a one-time donation to support the podcast, kind of like a buy me a cup of coffee thing. Uh, so those are ways you can support the podcast in addition to listening. Thank you so much for listening and for your feedback. So please, please, please send me feedback. I really, really would appreciate it. All right. So I am going to just go ahead and dive into the main segment. So the straight pin, I have a history of the straight pin and um, its evolution through time up until the present. So um, I think it's interesting. I always love learning the history of things, where they came from and, and how, um, you know, they came to be used and made and so forth. And sewing pins are something that has been around forever. Uh, so it's it's pretty fascinating, I think, the story of the straight pin. So in prehistoric times, um, they were using things as straight pins to um, attach clothing, cloth together temporarily, or as they wore um cloth and clothing. So prehistoric, they used thorns as a straight pin. And then in the Egyptian times, they got a little more fancy with it and they made uh, straight pins from bronze and they had decorative heads on them. So um, 
I, I haven't seen uh, an Egyptian straight pin yet. Um, I have seen, I have seen some really um, ancient and artifact straight pins um, in, in the um, art history museum, but um, I'm interested to see what uh, one of those Egyptian bronze pins looks like. And then the Vikings, they made straight pins from iron. Um, and then we're moving along up into the medieval time. And then many different types of materials were made for straight pins. And up until this point, um, or beyond this point, uh, straight pins were really just made to hold clothing together, hold cloth together, hold paper, things together. Um, and so in the medieval times, pins were made from bone, yikes, ivory, silver, gold, and brass. So at this time, uh, they were a luxury item. They were very expensive because they were handcrafted by hand. And it took, um, it took a long time to make a straight pin. So, um, and they were worn as decorative um, items. And they showed the social class because they were so very expensive. And then by the 1500s, hand sewing and tailoring had been pretty well established. There are historical mentions of pins used by tailors in Spanish books around this time. Um, there is uh, mention of, uh, in France how tailors used um straight pins in hand sewing in the 1500s. So um, and these pins were made by hand all the way up through the centuries until the Industrial Revolution. All right. So here's a quick glimpse of how straight pins were made by hand way way back in the centuries. Um, the attaching the heads were really difficult at that time. So here's how the process goes. One person, pulled the wire out. Pins were made from a very stiff wire. The second person straightened it. The third person cut it. And the next person ground the opposite end of the pin to ready it for the attachment of the head. And so, so forth. The end of the process was to polish the pins and insert them into paper packets. So that was how they were made by hand um, before manufacturing. So when did manufacturing start? Well, it was the, um, industrial revolution, which was around the 1830s. So there were American inventors and British inventors that made, um, machines to make straight pins. So the American inventors were Seth Hunt and John Ireland Howe. The British inventors, Lemuel Wright and Daniel Foote Taylor, they all patent, patented machines that produced pins with a solid head from a single piece of wire. And then one inventor, um, American inventor Samuel Slocum of Poughkeepsie, New York, he made a similar machine, but he didn't patent it. So... Uh, those pins became known as Poughkeepsie pins. So it's really important if you invent something that you patent it right away <laughs> uh, because uh, 
you know, I, I, it's very good that we even know the person's name that invented these pins out of Poughkeepsie, New York. But if, usually if you don't patent it, then someone else runs away with the um, the knowledge and and patents it for themselves. So anyway, I got off topic there. Uh, all right. So then, um, so they were making these pins, but they still had to use manual labor to um, crimp the paper and put hand put the pins into the paper packaging. So, of course, another person decides to automate that process. Uh, and... It was in December of 1835. So Howe Manufacturing Company, that was the um, one of the American inventors, they produced a machine that was made to crimp the paper and insert the pins with a fully automated process. And by doing this, they were able to produce 70,000 pins daily. So this is, I think, when sewing pins really were made to be affordable. Um, I'm just inserting my own opinion. I don't know this, but that's generally how it works. It's supply and demand. Uh, and boy, do we know a lot more about supply and demand this year, don't we? So yeah, when they can produce that many pins daily and um, it costs them a lot less to produce them, then they can be sold at a more affordable price. Um, and so these pins were electroplated, and I found out that the electroplating process was fairly new um, around 1930. So they electroplated it with nickel, and the metal that they used under the nickel was just steel. So uh, the, the nickel electroplating would flake off, and then the pins would rust. So the tailors and seamstresses cleaned the pins. They didn't throw them away. <laughs> they, um, because the pins were still perfectly good, they just, uh, you don't want rust getting into your, your um, fabric. So they cleaned them by pushing them back and forth into a bag of emery grit, which is today known as the pin cushion. So necessity is the mother of invention, right? And we still have those little emery grit um, pin cushions today. It's that really popular tomato style pin cushion. And then it's got the little strawberry attached by the green thread. That little strawberry is filled with emery grit. I don't know if you are aware of it. You probably are, but I wasn't for the longest time. Um, and so that is used today really so that you can sharpen the tips of your pins and needles. So if you kind of like um, put, put your pins and needles in there and um, you can sharpen them that way, moving them up and down. So I thought that was interesting that the pin cushion was made from a necessity by the tailors and seamstresses of the day. Let's fast forward to the present day. There are like innumerable makers in types of straight pins. They're used for fashion sewing, 
there's many types of pins used in fashion sewing. And um, a lot of the fashion sewing pins are all steel, like metal. They have the little round metal tip. Um, and there are short pins for applique. Um, there's longer pins for pleating, um, beading, and um, silk pins. And um, even in home deck, there are really long, thick, strong pins for upholstery. Uh, patchwork and quilting also use um, a little bit of a longer length than uh, fashion pins, uh, sewing pins, I mean. And um, they have the little balls on the top, a lot of the uh, quilting pins. Uh, so, and they could be anything from plastic to a glass, um, glass bead top. They're known as glass head pins. My, I'll tell you, my favorite brand is Tulip. And those are uh, made in Hiroshima, Japan. And they are just amazing. I Usually, like from brand to brand, you really don't really tell that much of a difference. But when you start getting into, you know, um, the more quality brands of pins, they cost more, first of all. But the reason why they cost more is that the materials used are of higher quality. So the Tulip brand sewing pins are made with a tungsten stainless steel. So they're not going to rust. And tungsten is a very strong yet flexible type of steel. I don't <laughs> I don't know all the scientific things about tungsten and stainless steel, but that's pretty much what the Tulip brand um, process is and uh, what they use in their pins and their needles. And uh, I really, when I started using those, I could tell a huge difference. They are super sharp and they're very smooth and they glide through fabrics like butter and they last a long, long time. Like they don't lose their sharpness as fast as I have noticed other pins, especially if you are sewing on hand um, sewn binding. Um, yeah, they they keep their sharpness and uh, they go through all of those layers of the binding into the quilt back really nicely. Whoops, I just jumped from straight pins to sewing needles. So <laughs> um, because I use the uh, Tulip brand uh, hand sewing needles, as well as I do have some of their uh, uh, straight pins. And um, other good sewing pins that I use are Clover, and those are also made in Japan. I really like the Clover glass head pins. Um, they're kind of nice and long. They're sharp, and the glass heads are not only pretty, but they are heat resistant. So I never have to worry when I press things with the pins still in them that they're going to melt. So the clover pins are good quality and, and very good um, and not as expensive as the tulip ones. And while I'm talking about clover, clover is the company that first um, put out the, uh, the wonder clips the um, the little uh, red, they started off with red and then they ended up um, coming out with rainbow colors and they're little uh, clips that work amazingly with 
um, quilt binding. They actually can replace the sewing straight pin in many applications, but not all applications. So we still do need uh, sewing straight pins. But let me tell you, I cannot do without my Wonder Clips. So Wonder Clips and straight pins hand in hand on my sewing table. I've also used the Dritz glass head pins. And just a little history on the Dritz company. They used to be a United States family-owned business, but they are no longer a family-owned business. It's now owned by a German company called Prim. And if you knit, you will know Prim more for their knitting needles and crochet needle, uh, crochet hooks. So I was trying to find out where these Dritz pins were manufactured, uh, but I, I really couldn't come up with anything other than um, it says the origin is USA, but I also read that the pins were manufactured in Malaysia. So that's, I don't know, I have, I have no idea, maybe someone out there knows, but sometimes that's important for people. So I thought I would try to find out where these pins were made. So like the tulip and the clovers are made in Japan. Um, and then there's just uh, so many more pins. There's the Singer pins and the flower head pins. Um, so, um, and the other thing to know about straight pins is that they don't last forever. They will dull over time. And some types of fabrics like fleece, um, the synthetic fabrics can dull the tips of the pins faster than um, other fabrics like cotton. Uh, I, I've noticed that too with my scissors. So um, I, I had a couple of fleece projects that I worked on, lots of cutting of the fleece, and <laughs> and my rotary blade got dull pretty quickly, and my sewing scissors need to be sharpened now. So um, they really do a number. Fleece does a number on your cutting and pins um, tools. So, um, and then sometimes sewing pins are just kind of like now just like they're so decorative. Sometimes people collect them. I have, um, some of the Tula pink unicorn, pink unicorn head pins. Um, I haven't used them yet. I'm trying to, you know, figure out if I want to make a pin cushion for them or just kind of like toss them in with my other pins, but I kind of want to keep them separate in a little bit. You know, they're, they're, there's a little bit more decorative and probably they are going to be a collector's item. So that's like a whole nother thing, but I, I definitely think I will use them. I just probably might use them and, and give them their own little, you know, their own pin cushion <laughs> and not mix them up with the other pins. So, yeah, there's one of the things that when I was uh, researching this was that I realized that there are not many things that we utilize today in our everyday lives that was originally used in prehistoric time. However, in our handcrafted hobby, we utilize many things from back then. So like the straight pin, hand sewing needle, and even the mechanical sewing machine, they really haven't changed much over the centuries. Most of what we use in our hobby of sewing and quilting has been around forever. 
textiles and needles, pins, thread, um, and the technique of hand stitching um, and machine stitching. So I find that fascinating. I, I just really enjoy kind of like reflecting on it and um, really uh, makes me appreciate my um, craft, my handcraft and hobby and skills. And, um, you know, when, when you put in all of this work of handcrafting gifts for other people, especially at this time of the year, uh, it's just, um, it makes it really that much more special and even more special when the recipient of the gift also, um, really, uh, understands what goes into making something by hand. So that is what I have on the history of the straight pin or the sewing pin. That's going to be the episode for the day. It's a little bit shorter, but I thank you for listening and I hope you will email or DM me your thoughts on your podcast format preference. The next episode, uh, I will have a guest, and I'm so excited about this guest. It's Emma Jones, and she is a YouTuber uh, in the UK. I love her YouTube channel, and um, she has an online shop, and the YouTube channel and the shop are called Vintage Sewing Box, and she really focuses on slow stitching and hand stitching English paper piecing. So we have a really lovely conversation and that will be on the next episode. All right. Well, until then, take care and enjoy the holiday season. uh, And I will chat with you next time. Bye-bye. If you would like a bonus episode every month, become a patron and support the Make and Decorate podcast show at my Patreon page, Make and Decorate. For extended show notes with links and photos to what we've talked about, visit my podcast blog at makeanddecorate.com. And remember to take some time for yourself to be creative. Bye-bye.